Well, we've been talking about seed time and harvest. Uh, we spent two weeks on seed time and harvest, and then last week we had the privilege of listening to Jeannie and Alex share about their ministry in Brazil, and uh, we were so blessed by that. But now it's time to get back to seed time and harvest. And I have a little preamble, a little, um, a few scriptures that I've been sharing every time because I want to lay a groundwork. I want to lay a foundation that we will be able to build upon and go in a little bit different direction. Today we're going to start with the foundational scriptures we've been discussing on seed time and harvest. And then we're going to go into what I call dream seeds. It's a different kind of seed, and it's a different kind of seed time and harvest, and it has to do with your personal destiny in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So by way of introduction, in the beginning, God instituted a governing principle over all the earth, over every living thing, and he called it the principle of seed time and harvest. Let's read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. And God said... Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, this is a little King Jamesian, so let me break it down for you. The grass, the trees, the animals, even mankind himself had seed within themselves that produced a harvest after its own kind. Unfortunately for all of creation, it wasn't too long after the creation event that sin entered the world and corrupted everything that it touched. In fact, this is shocking to me, but sin had such a corrupting influence on the world and its inhabitants that just 1,600 years after the creation, there were only eight Righteous people left on the entire planet. That's pretty sad. So God had to intervene to preserve the bloodline that would one day produce the written word of God and then bring us the Messiah, the living word of God. Amen. So he had to take drastic action. He had to treat sin like a cancer and just cut it out. Because it threatened that bloodline. And without that bloodline coming forth, none of us could be saved. So for the billions that were to come, he had to wipe out the planet to save that bloodline because it was riding on that ark with Noah. Amen? So he destroyed the face of the earth with a devastating flood and temporarily suspended the principle of seed time and harvest. Isn't that right? But when the flood was over, God made it clear. He declared that seed time and harvest would once again be the principle that governed everything that was birthed on planet Earth. Genesis 8:22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now I've said this twice, and I'll say it a third time. So much for global warming. God made it clear that there would be cycles of warming and cooling as long as the earth existed, and that's just the way it is. I'm not worried about the planet burning up. Furthermore, I said this before, I think it's comical, and so I'm going to say it again. I'm not worried about bovine flatulence. 
For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not concerned about the cows that are passing gas that is somehow eroding the ozone layer. God knew the cows would be doing that. So if the cows are executing a natural process and the ozone layer is a natural process, I believe, and I believe the data shows, there can be holes created in the ozone layer, but if you watch, they close up. They open and they close. They heal themselves. God was ahead of the curve on that. So he's saying, don't worry about the cows. Just don't be downwind when they do their thing. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whether spiritual or physical, everything that was birthed from that point forward after the flood would follow the principle of seed time and harvest. God was saying it would never, ever be interrupted again. Amen? Now, Jesus was well aware of this governing principle, this fundamental principle of seed time and harvest. So he introduced this principle to the disciples through the parable of the sower. Now, we don't have time to go through that in detail, but I will tell you that if you go to chapter Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 20, you can read the whole parable. And he talks about how the sower sows the seed, and he talks about sowing the seed of the word of God into the hearts of men. Amen. And if you sow that seed in fertile ground, Jesus said it will produce a harvest. So that in a nutshell is the principle of seed time and harvest. If you plant a seed God's way, it's guaranteed to produce fruit. And it will produce fruit after its own kind. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's read from Mark chapter 4, verse 11 through 14. And this is kind of the middle of the parable, but this is the point we've been trying to make about this parable. This parable contains within it the fundamental principle of seed time and harvest. Jesus even went on to say that if you can understand this parable, you can understand all the parables. I'm getting ahead of myself. So Mark chapter 4, verse 11 through 14, Jesus said, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sin should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? Well, if you read the whole thing, you'll find out that Jesus shared the parable publicly, then pulled his disciples aside and gave them the interpretation privately. Amen. And so in the middle here, he says it's important that you understand this because this is foundational. Jesus told his followers it was given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I believe it was his way of saying, I'm going to show you how the kingdom of God operates and it operates by seed time and harvest. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Jesus was a seed himself, and he knew it. And that seed produced a harvest of born-again believers. And you and I are in that harvest if you call yourself born again. Amen? John chapter 12, verse 24 in the NIV. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus, as we talked about last week and the week before, is talking about himself here. 
He was the living word of God. He was the word incarnate. He was the word become flesh. And after his burial, Jesus was a seed that was planted in the heart of the earth. Amen. But after his resurrection and ascension, that seed sprang up and grew into a tree of life that produced a harvest of righteous, born again believers. And each of those born again believers, Jesus said, are seed also. And you can produce more seed in others when they hearken to the voice of your word concerning Jesus and what he did for them and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Praise God. That seed is still producing a harvest of millions and I believe eventually billions of born again, righteous men and women. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So seed time and harvest is something we need to understand. And it is very foundational to the whole planet and the universe itself. Amen. Now I get excited when I talk about the universe. So I might have to run. Hallelujah. Call it galaxy running. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, Lord, get me back on track. Hallelujah. First Peter a 123 says that we were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the word of God is a seed. You are a seed carrying a seed. And when you preach the gospel to someone who's not saved and it finds fertile ground in their heart and they receive the seed of the word of God, the Bible says it produces a harvest in them in the form of a brand new person, a brand new man. A born-again individual. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, we talked about this last week, and I want to hit it again. God spoke words that were seeds, and he called those things that be not as though they were. Romans 4, 17, probably familiar to a lot of you. Paul said, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth or raises the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. God called Abraham, Abraham before he had a single child. Now, Abram was his name before and it meant exalted father. But Abraham meant father of many nations. So when he said Abraham, every time he said that to Abraham, anytime he addressed Abraham, he was calling those things that be not as though they were because he called him Abraham for 25 years before he had a single son. That's the faith of God. Furthermore, when Abraham met anybody new and introduced himself and said, I am Abraham, he was saying, I am the father of many nations. He was calling those things that be not, as though they were. Amen? I imagine as he got close to 100, he got some pretty funny looks. So God spoke words that were seeds, and he called those things that be not as though they were. And so did Abraham, and so did Jesus. Jesus spoke words that were seeds, calling those things that be not as though they were. John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus said unto his enemies, Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. What's happening there? He's calling those things that be not as though they were. Whoo, man. Glory to God. That's bold. So if God and Jesus and our father Abraham spoke words of faith, called those things that be not as though they were, I think we should follow their godly example and do the same thing. 
If you speak God's word in faith, it will produce a harvest of whatever you're declaring over yourself. It will. It's a guaranteed return. The seed goes into fertile ground, and Jesus said it'll produce 30, 60, 100 fold. It will produce a harvest in your life. But there is a negative side, and I don't want to dwell here, but I have to say this. If you speak words of doubt and fear, it will produce a harvest of doubt and fear in your life, and so on. So learn to change your vocabulary to speak the Word of God only, so that when you speak, faith comes up in your heart, and you don't have to get depressed because of the words you said yourself. A lot of people are depressed because of the things that are coming out of their mouth. Stop that right now. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Look, I've dealt with symptoms in my life, but you have never heard me say, I have this sickness or I have this disease. It will not come out of my mouth. I will not take ownership of something that was not planted by the Lord in my body. In fact, I say anything in my body that was not planted by the Lord is plucked up by the Holy Spirit of God. I get radical. I say some things over myself every day. I say things like this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he dwells in me. He makes me better, quicker, stronger, smarter, healthier. That Holy Spirit living on the inside of me burns out sickness and disease, kills on contact, germs, harmful bacteria, virus, fungus, cancers, growths of any kind in the name of Jesus. I got more, but that's just a, that's a snippet. And I say it over myself every day. Lord, I embrace the spirit of Caleb, who was 85 years old and strong as he was when he was 40 years old. I went down to the gym. I'm fixing to be 62. I still bench press 300 pounds. I bench press 300 pounds when I was 30 for the first time. But every time I get on that bench press, every time I think about the spirit of Caleb. So the same principle that applies to the words that we speak The principle of seed time and harvest also applies to our actions, to our character, to our love walk, and even to our finances. Let's read Luke chapter 6, 34 through 38 in the English Standard Version. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven." Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. If you sow love, mercy, and forgiveness, you will reap love, mercy, and forgiveness. If you sow judgment and condemnation, you will reap judgment and condemnation. If you sow financial seed with the right heart attitude, you will reap a financial harvest. Why? Because each of those seeds produces after its own kind. Amen? That's seed time and harvest. I think Galatians 6, 7 in the Phillips translation says it the best. Sums up this whole concept. Don't be under any illusion. You cannot make a fool of God. A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he sows. Amen? 
So as we wrap up this series, there's one other kind of seed I'd like to leave you with, and that's what I call dream seeds. When God speaks a word to you about your calling or stirs the dream within your heart, whether you realize it or not, he's watering a dream seed that was placed in your heart the moment you were conceived. Furthermore, he expects you to cultivate that seed and bring it to a place of harvest, which will ultimately be the fulfillment of your personal destiny in him. A true dream from God will challenge you to take steps toward that dream and will force you to make changes in your life and in your character as you pursue that dream. And he is as interested in the changes that will occur in you as you pursue that dream as he is in the fulfillment of the dream itself. The old cliche is true. The journey really is as important as the destination. God will give you a big dream because he wants to mold you and shape you into the person he created you to be. The Bible says from glory to glory, he's changing us. He's determined to conform us to the image of his dear son. And when God gives you a dream and you pursue that dream, it forces you to face character flaws. It forces you to face feelings of inadequacy. It forces you to face obstacles that you know without Him you cannot overcome. And all of that produces change in you as you pursue what God put in your heart. And I'm telling you what, if it was a dream from God, I guarantee you it's not going to be something you can do in your own strength because if you do it in your own strength, then you get all the glory. But if you say, Lord, that's a big dream, there's no way I can do that in my own strength. But with you, Father, I can do all things. You are able to do exceeding abundantly, far over and above, the Amplified says, infinitely beyond my highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. You can do that in me according to the power that's already working in me. Amen? Is everybody getting this? That's the purpose of a dream seed. God will give you a glimpse of what you can be if you follow His plan for your life. Your dream from God will not come to pass just because it came from God. You have a part to play. You have to make your life a living sacrifice and commit your plans to Him. Staying sensitive to God as He reveals each step along the way. Be careful that you take the steps that he directs and not your own steps. Follow his timing and not your timing. Anytime you try to make things happen, it's a recipe for disaster. I can tell you from experience. Do it God's way. Do it in his timing. Amen. Many people fail to realize that there will be a period of time after God plants that dream seed before it is fulfilled. That's why they call it seed time and harvest. The time part is the part that we struggle with. But let me help you with that since I wrote a book about space and time. And I got a phrase that I use and it's not on the slides, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. If God was the author of time, how can time stop God from fulfilling what he himself authored in your life? Consider that. Don't let time bother you. There's plenty of time if your heart is submitted to him 
and you're following after him and you're doing it his way. You will eventually get to that place where you see yourself in the distance. Amen. It's not really a destination per se. It's more like a transformation. What you're seeing is not a destination. It's a transformation because what you're seeing is the man or woman he created you to be. And it's a journey. And I'm sorry to say, most of the time, it is a lifelong process. That's a perfect segue. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here about time, and then we're going to talk about Joseph. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. Say that quickly three times, and you'll be talking in tongues before you know it. <laughs> Glory to God. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, let's read it in the New Living Translation. But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Amen? Not only will your dream take some time to be fulfilled, but there will inevitably come a time in your life when that dream will be challenged, when it will be tested. And one of the classic examples from Scripture is the amazing story of Joseph, Psalm 105, verse 17 through 19. The Bible says, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Think about that. The word of the Lord tested him. How did it test him? Well, when he was in that dungeon and he had iron clapped around his ankles and it was smelly and he was sweating, he wasn't eating real well. I guarantee you that's what the word of the Lord means when it says his dream was tested. The word that God gave him was tested. It didn't look like in the midst of that dungeon like God's dream was ever going to come to pass in his life. God gave Joseph a dream when he was 17 years old. And with that dream, I believe God was simply stirring the dream seed that he'd already placed in Joseph's heart. Amen. But because Joseph showed a little lack of wisdom in sharing that dream with his family, and because he was his father Jacob's favorite son, his brothers were stirred to anger against him. And this best summed up in Genesis 37 verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Hallelujah. You ever shared a dream with somebody and it just went over like a pregnant pole vaulter? You know, they're like, what? What are you believing God for? That's crazy. His brothers did not like the vision that he had. Basically, God showed him that one day his entire family would bow down before him in obeisance. He would be in a position of authority over them. Now, I guarantee you that at 17 years old, he didn't completely understand that dream, and he probably didn't have any business sharing that dream because nobody would understand it at that point. It was years in the future. In fact, it was 13 years before it began to manifest, and then another nine years before it fully manifested. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, Joseph was a forerunner of Jesus. He was a seed sent by God to rescue his people from complete annihilation. 
And there are some amazing parallels. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I got to go there. This is so cool. Joseph was a seed. He ended up in the earth in a pit left for dead. Remember, his brothers hated him. They threw him into a pit, and then they put animal's blood on his coat and showed it to the father. Joseph was a seed. He ended up in the earth in a pit left for dead. Jesus' body was planted in the earth in an earthen tomb. Joseph's bloody coat was presented to his father as evidence of his death. Jesus' blood was presented to the Father as evidence that the price had been paid for the remission of our sins. Joseph ended up in prison, falsely accused of Potiphar's wife. Jesus ended up in hell, falsely accused of the devil. Hallelujah. But after a process of time and tribulation, Joseph was released from prison. He became a great ruler and was responsible for the salvation of his entire family. Jesus released himself from death, hell, and the grave, became a great ruler, and was responsible for the salvation of all mankind. Isn't that cool? Praise the Lord. Let me give you a modern-day example. There's a worship leader. His name is Cyan Alford. He came to our church at Word of Life there in Shreveport years ago. But he shared a testimony that really impacted me, and I've never forgotten. So he shared the testimony of how he got started in ministry. He got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit when he was 19 years old. I don't have a clue what the Lord is calling me to do, but I do know to do this. I'm going to go seek the Lord and ask him to show me what it is he's called me to do. So he determined that he would spend 30 minutes a night in his prayer closet, praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Ghost until the Lord showed him what it is he called him to do. And I can't remember how long this went on. I seem to remember it was about three weeks, 30 minutes a night. He gets alone with God. He prays in tongues. He prays in the spirit. And this went on for three weeks. He said, at the end of that process, all of a sudden, I'm standing there in the presence of God. I'm worshiping him. I'm praying in tongues. And then I had a vision and the Lord Jesus appeared to me personally, stood before me. And there was like a veil behind Jesus. And he said, I'm here to answer your prayer. I'm going to show you what you've been called to do, what I've called you to be. He peeled back the veil and he saw a vision of himself on a platform playing keyboards with a worship band around him, leading praise and worship. And there were hundreds of thousands of people out there in the congregation. He began to weep. He was undone. He wept and he wept and he wept until the Lord said, that's enough. Dry your tears. And then, of course, the glory lifted. The vision ended and he was back in the natural. And he went to the Lord and he said, "Okay, Lord, that was wonderful. What exactly did you mean by that? How are we going to get there? Because, Lord, I don't even know how to play a musical instrument. I can't read music. I don't even know if I can sing. How are we going to do this? Well, the answer is Cyan Alford had to take natural and supernatural steps toward that vision. And there would be a time of waiting and there would be a time of tribulation at times when that vision was tested and challenged before he got there. But one day he got there. How many know he probably had to take piano lessons? He probably had to learn how to read music. Probably wasn't as difficult for him as it would be for others, but he still had to take natural steps toward the fulfillment of that destiny. And then he had to take supernatural steps. I've seen him worship. He had to learn how to flow in the Holy Ghost, how to lead other people to flow in the Holy Ghost. But he did. 
God showed him a glimpse of what he could be. He followed the steps of the Lord and the timing of the Lord. And now he's an international praise and worship leader. One final thought. The most important thing you can do is to never let go of your dream. Never let go of the dream seed that God planted in your heart. Even when it seems there's no way that it'll ever come to pass, hold on to it. See it in your heart. Stay close to God and pursue it with all of your being. When you've done all you can do, stay faithful, stand, and let God do the rest. If you'll do this, it will come to pass. As the people of God, let's learn to apply seed time and harvest to every area of our lives, our love walk, our actions, our character, our finances, and yes, even our dreams. Amen? Amen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We believe.